It was in my dreams last night after seeing her and, and Emilio kind of semi-flirting there at the very end. My brain combined her, this show, and, and Bad Santa, and I just had this thing in my mind of, fuck me, Gordon, fuck me, Gordon, fuck me, Gordon, fuck me, Gordon, fuck me, Gordon. It's knuckle puck time! What the heck kind of a shot was that? You've never heard of a knuckle puck? Whoa! Welcome, everyone, to Knuckle Puck Time. My name is Andrew Apple. I remain David Hankla. And I'm Mark Winsk. This week, we are talking about the premiere of Mighty Ducks Game Changers, Episode 1, Game On. We'll talk about the good, the bad, and the less good, and uh, whatever else we feel like not bothering about. Before we jump in, we just want to make sure everyone knows this is a spoiler chat. We will be spoiling just about every part of the plot of episode one of Mighty Ducks Game Changers. So if you haven't watched it yet because you decided to waste your time watching Falcon and Winter Soldier again, we don't judge. Or if you just slept like a normal person and have a job. That, that, that applies to nobody That's anymore. True. It's time! That's Mark's main job. I, I keep things moving, keep the plot plot line flowing. Um, but if... As, as as Andrew did say, that if you are here and you, you don't want to hear spoilers, here's a spoiler. It's pretty much what you think it's going to be in the first episode. <laughs> There's not really many surprises. The biggest surprise for me was that it was 42 minutes long. That was, it was an arbitrary number that normally you would think you would reach in an hour-long TV show that had lots of commercials, but it didn't have commercials because it's on Disney streaming, so it just was arbitrarily 42 minutes long, which both surprising and also I kind of like it. I kind of like that the old framework of no, something has to be you know 30 minutes or an hour, and if it has commercials, then you work around that. That no, like time just doesn't matter anymore the last year has taught us that time is an illusion anyway and we're all living in a black hole of existence where everything swirls into each other so why not make emilio estevez heckle children it is the proverbial two ass conundrum that elon musk the titan of techno coin that he is is fighting every day did you just say two ass problem yeah you've never heard the two horses ass conundrum no. Proceed. We're learning and growing here. Basically, every sort of transportation that we have today is based on being able to ship things the um, width of two yeah. horses' backsides. Yeah. Because the incremental growth of every sort of transportation that we had grew from having two horses being able to stand side by side with each other. So every time someone tries to innovate or needs to send something by rail and they want to have it be an awkward size, they're not able to do it because the trains and the tracks are based on the width of two horses' asses. Yeah, that makes sense. That if you were going to have uh, a classic cart or any kind of shipping wagon, you would be hauled by two horses and therefore the roads and pathways would be designed for two horses, which means that eventually, as we move towards cars and trains and everything else, it would just evolve from those original roads and pathways. So yeah, so I guess all of society is built on horses' asses. And now that we've gotten that far, uh, we've given everyone a fair amount of time if they want to leave and not be spoiled. 
So uh, let me give a quick recap. Here's the recap. And that's our new song. We might work on that one. Here's the recap. Trademark, Mark Winsky. It's recap time! <laughs> time. Everything, every intro is just going to be Mark that. Loves, he, loves doing this. It's a blast. Yes, he does. Long gone are the days of the Ducks being a scrappy group of underdogs. Today, the Ducks are a bunch of proverbial cake eaters whose parents put them in $1,000 hockey clinics in the hopes that they'll one day play for the NHL. Their current coach, who is only known as Coach T and looks like the love child of Gunnar Stahl from D2 and Scooter from D3, decides that our hero, Evan, just doesn't have what it takes to be a Duck and cuts him from the team. At the urging of his mother, Alex... Evan decides to start his own hockey team with the most ragtag group of underdogs that the minds of television writers can come up with. While he's rounding up this group of scrappy nobodies, Alex goes on the hunt for an ice rink where they can practice. After coming up short with every facility in the phone book, a chance errand leads her to find the Ice Palace, run by none other than Gordon Bombay. We find, however, that he is no longer the Minnesota Miracle Man, but has turned into someone beaten down by life that appears to survive on a diet of leftover pizza and cake from children's birthday parties. With Bombay agreeing to rent the space to the new team of Don't Bothers, and Alex showing off her skating abilities to the tune of Whitney Houston's The Greatest Love of All, we set off on a journey to see if this group of rejects can show the world that kids can be champions while still having fun. Intro. So, Mark, what did you think? Can I just say that you had me at cake eaters? Because <laughs> I've got this down in my, 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 my notes here. Cake? How come there's so much cake? Um, uh, and does that have to do with him now being a cake eater? is my honest question now since it had be brought up because every scene that Emilio Estevez is in he's eating something so I'm not sure if craft services just wasn't good on set or he was just hungry but every scene he comes in he's eating cake and not just a slice of cake but an entire cake i really wonder if that was in his contract it must have been writer it must have been it it had to be something because he's not just having a cake there he's actually eating the cake and pizza i was fascinated by the cake eating angle not I love the the fact that you just delved into the idea that Bombay has now become a literal cake eater. That's mm-hmm. that's a great little touch that I actually had missed. But uh, I don't remember ever attending or holding a children's party when I was a kid when we didn't take the cake home. Who are these children that are like, I've had enough cake. Leave it here for the trash. That's like if the place provides the cake... Maybe it's it's a weird thing where it's like no no just leave the extras and you know whatever but like no that you take your cake with you. Who are these parents that just 
Like, do they have a cake for home? Is this the travel cake? What? Who are these people who just casually leave cake for home? I'm sorry, keep leave cake behind. My nose is stuffed up today. Um, the second thing that I loved is within the cake eating angle. I love that Disney still managed to get a cross promotion for Wreck It Ralph in. How's that leftover Wreck It Ralph cake? Hmm. Hard around the edges, soft in the middle, kind of like Ralph himself. Disney never misses a chance to cross-promote. I deeply admire that about them. It's almost insane how thoroughly they work to make that happen. But I, I respect it in its own way. Well, you're getting to a very <clears throat> strong point that we're starting to see with a lot of these Disney Plus series. And that's Disney has become fairly notorious for just mining its IP and pulling as much blood from the stone as they possibly can. But the reason it seems to work is because they're actually good at Extremely. it. Because this entire episode was basically a 42-minute equivalent of the three-minute segment from D2 where Charlie is rounding up all the ducks like yeah, yeah if you just stretched out that taffy that's basically what this entire episode was mm -hmm. and yet at no point was i ever bored like i i don't know how yeah. disney does this to us the thing i was waiting for because they cast what's the actor's name um brady noon as evan evan the last time i saw him was in good boys as thor so I kept waiting for F-bombs, and I knew they weren't coming, but it felt like they should be. He's cast perfectly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's, he's good. Very good. He's very good. Got those intense eyes, and yet a round face. Yeah. Not just him as an actor, but his character is a very strong character. Like, to be brave enough to stand up in front of y y y your entire cafeteria and stand on a table in... Is it middle school? Let's call it junior high. They're in sure. junior yeah, high. Yeah, he's supposed to be yeah. 12 to 14, right? 12, 12 yeah, to yeah. 14. Evan is so strong and so brave, and I and and we take him to be a pretty good hockey player. He he was part of the Ducks team before getting cut, and I think something to get into, which we we've talked about this throughout the the entire Mighty Ducks series, is where does prosperity lead you mm. in this hockey world? Do you have thoughts about that? I, I did love that they very early on established the old trope uh, from the previous three movies of class warfare that mm -hmm. because they're arguing oh if you're not great at hockey by 12 why bother but their definition of great is the exact type of greatness that is bought that is you know you, you have the best gear and you have the best coaches and you've been to the best clinics and they are all training you to be a very specific very honed type of player who in many of these cases it seems has also already been through puberty so uh, it's 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 designed as like oh yeah if you have money then you can maximize your potential in this window and if you don't 
unless you are lucky enough to have gone through puberty and basically be a giant, you're probably not going to ever get to play this sport again. Well, Malcolm Gladwell talks about that in his book Outliers. Have you, you guys read I, that book? I have or, long or, ago. But yeah, yeah. He speaks about how in Minnesota, especially, the ages of these hockey players are so important that are they on the cusp of being 12, playing in 12 and 14, or are the is 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 their birthday like just on that cutoff line where they're a still 12 about playing in 12 and under and i think that has a lot to do with this as well as kind of breeding this hockey culture breeding this hockey giant with monetization and with these trainers the joke is made that this mom brings two trainers to a hockey practice for a 12 year old and the crazy thing is it's not that crazy yeah this is pretty typical yeah life is like that i liked i like that they're directly commenting on that i uh I mean, I, I had a classmate going through middle school and high school whose father used to be a professional basketball player, and he played one season <clears throat> on our Jellif basketball team. You know, our Goofy were just having a lot of fun basketball team, and he got pulled from our team after that season because, as, as his dad put it, it doesn't matter that you're having fun, you're learning bad habits, we need to focus on you being a professional, and... This dad made his son take five, like hit five hundred three, hit five hundred free throws every night before he could have dinner. Like it was just a standard thing where it was like this is just part of your continuous discipline. I think he was on two different travel teams by the time we were in sixth grade. Was his name Steph no. Curry? Uh, <laughs> no, and amusingly, he actually ended up going on to play football instead of basketball. Uh, and was a very good basketball player. He was a better football player because he just, he grew in that way where he just, he wasn't that big for most of high school and then suddenly he became incredibly powerful and muscular and it was just a killer quarterback. Played at Syracuse. Um, but uh, yes. but yeah, no, I just, I remember seeing that and as mentioned in previous episodes, I went to, you know, a snooty preppy school. So we had an insane amount of homework and a ton of commitments and I just remember trying to process how he had time to be on multiple travel teams in addition to being in our school, in addition to being required to be on teams in our school because we had mandatory sports. It just, I I knew a few people who actually ever got to hang out with him, but most people just only saw him in classes and the rest of his life was 100% owned by this machine of teenage sports. Uh which again, like I was talking about before, kind of sets up the class warfare angle. In in this show, the mom who brings the two uh, the two semi coaches, one of whom is a child mm-hmm. sports psychologist, to their twelve year old mm-hmm. son's hockey practice, that woman is it seems a partner in the law firm where Lorelai Gilmore, I know she has a real name, Lauren Graham is an actress, she is forever Lorelai Gilmore, despite the fact that the only other movie I associate with her with is Bad Santa, which creates weird dreams. 
<laughs> that Lorelai Gilmore is a paralegal in that law firm. And she mentions at one point during the episode that she had to drop out of law school to take care of her son because his father left. That point is literally churned out by the sound of the hot chocolate machine because it's meant to just minimize her own space in this world that she's trying to reclaim because she's not as wealthy as all of these other parents, because she has to scrap to make things happen, because she can't afford to give her kid $900 skates and two psychologist coaches who attend their every event, which I bet those psychologists charge 100 to $200 per hour, easily. Oh, easily. Mm-hmm. Well, to be clear, we also learn in this first episode that just because you have those brand new $900 skates doesn't make you a good right. hockey player. And and as with a trained eye, we kind of thought that he wasn't going to be good. But they played it up so they well. <laughs> they kept doubling down. I... Mm, I feel bad saying this. I questioned it. I'm like, wait, maybe he will be good. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, no, there's no way. He cannot be like the star golden boy coming in for this hockey team and blah, 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 blah. It just wouldn't work. But I loved that they kept on doubling down on this uh, thought that a golden boy is going to come in and save the day for the Oh, to be fair, they did already set up that there are going to be Adam Banks-style golden boys to come in and just make everything better. I mean, first off, they they introduced uh, the character of... What was her name? The the actress is Swayam Bhatia, Mm B-H-A-T-I-A, I think that's how you pronounce it, who I mostly recognize from Succession. The fact that she's Sophie Roy. Um... But uh, but she is what is her depicted as being an incredible hockey player. She is taking shots that knock golf balls off the top of cones. I mean, just clear pinpoint mastery. But also they show that she's got some kind of a knee injury because she's pushing herself so hard to be good that she's ignoring her own injuries. Very much giving off uh, an Adam Banks style looming possibility. Uh, but in terms of, you know, who's going to be their their magical fix everything figure, uh, that's that's the kid who's the wall. Yeah, their goalie is ridiculous, and he looks like Goldberg. He, he kind of does. He, I mean, perhaps a little more Kiwi. I mean, there's a is a, a bit of a Maori vibe about the way that he's. I don't know, like his, his haircut felt Maori. Um, well, we, we've already established that Nick is the Jewish aspect of the team. Yeah. <laughs> we established that early with, on. With the great line. It's a mom. He's actually my next-door neighbor. We're not super tight or anything, but him and his mom have often been our non-Jewish guests at Passover. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. But it's something that line. the two of you have been alluding to this entire time is one of the things I find fascinating about this show is that it has parallel heroes' journeys happening with both Evan and Alex. Mm-hmm. Because in the course of this episode, 
you can see that both of them are beginning to break out on their own. They both set out on this new path. They both have something happen that gets thrown out of the world that they were already in to take them into this new world. And they have now both found their helpers. Evan finding it, of course, in Nick and Alex finding it in a very reluctant Gordon Bombay, who I I have to give it up to the writers on this one because he comes back and while he is clearly a shell of his former self, Mm -hmm. he still finds a way to give an inspirational speech that is both uplifting and incredibly depressing all at the same time. Also, man, did he very clearly and very aggressively slot right into that missing father role. I mean, just just like a like a plug into a wall outlet. Yeah, he knows it. He knows it well. Like as an actor and as a character, like he knows the role. So uh, and and that brings me to to the, this and next point like He's a good actor. He is. I feel like he's coming in kind of doing his job and being like, great. But he does it so well. He does. He's very workmanlike about it. Yeah, he comes in. You can see he's done his homework and like knows his choices Mm -hmm. and just kind of does it. That was always kind of Emilio's thing, that he is Martin Sheen's son, Charlie Sheen's brother. He absolutely could have been, you know, Michael Sheen with Emilio. Instead, he chose to be Emilio Estevez. He chose to separate himself one step from the the family legacy and to kind of do the more grinded out interesting work. And uh, reading up before this podcast, I actually really enjoyed that Emilio himself said that he kind of identifies with Gordon Bombay a bit at this point because Bombay has been kind of in hiding for 25 years, and in large part, so has Emilio. That he, you know, he did a bunch of movies back in the 80s and early 90s that made him a bunch of money. Uh, according to CelebrityNetWorth.com, he is currently worth 18 million, which, by the way, is more than Charlie Sheen is now worth. Which is amazing. Now, that also brings up questions I'll bring up after I finish this this point, because uh, I get the feeling Emilio is very much a, a family support kind of guy, and on some level is coming out of hiding because he knows he can cash in, make a lot of money, and he may need to look out for his brother, which I admire. You know, Charlie used to be worth $150 million, and between his HIV treatments and his child support, apparently he's burned through $140 million of that in the last 10 years. So... Family stepping up to do do good things for family, which I, I just admire that. Martin Sheen is also worth sixty million, so I think Charlie will be fine. But anywho, uh, Emilio kind of coming out of of hiding, having worked only on independent projects and more political, personal projects since the nineties. Uh, he. It's cool seeing him connect with Bombay in this way that I don't think he did in the first three movies. That there now is this, I had a clear dream. That dream did not particularly work. Uh, The things that I thought were easy money and whatnot 
that I kind of disdained, it turns out actually define me much more than I thought they would. And I've kind of come around to that reality. So I'm, I'm going to have yeah. my cake and eat it too. And in this case, I'm going to have children's cake and eat it too. Pun, pun way intended. And I'm, I'm excited to see his journey because I feel like it, it, it feels just in the first episode that it's going to be a real cathartic process mm-hmm. of, of going back to this character with now, tw- is it 25 years, we said? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, 25 years of life under his belt and just kind of putting on the Gordon bon- Bombay name tag and just being himself. I noticed that when he first... Uh, came in to his office and I'm like, Oh, like he's just this, mm-hmm. like he, he's, he's, he's just being himself and saying these lines as himself in the most grounded actory yeah. way. It was great to it see. Was. There was something that I found amusing watching, watching him kind of move through the space again, which I had not noticed uh, rewatching the previous Mighty Ducks movies, which is, I'd forgotten how short Emilio Estevez is. I am not a tall man. I'm I'm five eight when I'm lying. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna borrow Please, that. Uh, Emilio is is officially five four, uh, which when he's coaching children works, but uh, him actually kind of moving through spaces with other adults. It is really interesting seeing the camera angles they have to choose to not make him look so tiny. Uh, especially considering mm. when people are on skates, skates will add between four and five inches of additional height to you. So unless they shoot those, those angles right, he's going to seem like an Oompa Loompa running through that crowd. And yet he still commands the moments. It's good film work. I don't think that matters. Like that's, I mean, that's a good thing to point out too, that... I think Disney, especially, not that they're trying to, but their inclusiveness is also mm-hmm. growing, and that's a, that's important too. That like, yes, like Emilio is not a six foot two dream boat of a man that we've seen in every other fucking movie. Yeah. Like, and he still captures, controls the scenes. He's clearly in charge when he's on camera. One hundred percent, and that's amazing yeah. to see that. Like seeing seeing him and Lauren Graham together is like I'm excited to see what becomes of that. Me too. I I kind of hope they um, don't end up together because that seems a little too. That's Lego. already off the table. Good. They said right from the beginning. The producers have come out and said. That's not what this first season is about. Uh, we don't even know if there's going to be a second season, even though, let's be honest, there's probably going to be I a second assume. season. We're all still yeah. stuck inside. People are going to watch the show. If 30-something-year-old men are interested in this storyline, like, it's good. It's going to be good. I'm excited. Um, and I've... 
got this down. The, the character of, of, of Nick Stick, mm-hmm. like, he's funny. He's, he's a good sidekick. Mm-hmm. I audibly, I audibly <laughs> laughed out loud at his one-liners. I like. I, I identify yeah. with Nick personally, not only because of the Judaism, but because I too have more of a podcast body than a hockey body. I like that line more in the preview when we had not watched him actually do podcasts for the last ten minutes, but yeah. it's still a very good line, uh, and I, I respect that he is a great, a truly great sidekick character. Where it's like I'm like. Mm-hmm. His his greatest emotional reach out is to airdrop the entire room, but he tries it. He does not have the courage of Evan, but he will push himself to the very limit of what he feels brave enough to do, and he will support his friend as his friend far exceeds him and respect him for it. I, I like that. It's a good character setup. Uh, I also, Mark, I loved what you mentioned before about Disney becoming more inclusive. I hadn't thought of it that way, but if you contrast... The composition of the first Mighty Ducks movie, even all the way through the third one, with this composition, it's very different. I mean, in the first one, it was a whole bunch of white kids, one Jewish-Italian kid who, you know, <laughs> white, but... Uh, and, and then a couple, couple African-American kids. Now we have a goalie who appears to be Maori. I'm trying to find his his information his name is Kazra Wong so i may be wrong there but like he appears to be uh asian of some historical descent or potentially maori uh the adam banks character is indian uh we have some white kids i mean like we are we are spreading this out one of the other kids on the team the one who cannot turn down a dare is is black like we are disney is scaling itself out to truly be like, no, 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 no. Even within the hockey world, we're not going to pretend that we are monolithic or monocultural anymore. We have to accept that America is a rainbow of different colors. I never liked that expression, but I don't know a better one because uh, I am unfortunately a white guy and constantly learning. Um, not unfortunate, just my nature. Uh, but yes, Disney is pushing itself to show that everyone can can represent themselves in any culture, in any way, if it's something that you care about and are excited by. And I like that Disney is pushing itself to those limits. It's I appreciate that Disney is no longer hiding behind the easy wins. Well, they know they can't. That That's the yeah. primary thing, is that if you're just stuck in that lane, you're leaving money on the table. I mean, we've talked about this in the past. Disney is a corporation. They care about making money first and foremost. And the desire to have these very monolithic, as you put it, stories is dwindling. You know, we, we want to see stories that look like the world. And people, more importantly, want to see stories that look like them, that have people that look like them in it you know and it's like and the other thing i appreciate lauren graham amazing casting in this uh because had this actually happened 20 years ago they would have picked someone 30 years younger to play 
Evan's mom. And Lorelai Gilmore is absolutely perfect yeah. in this role. And she will always be Lorelai Gilmore. Always. Yes. Fun fact I actually read while I was prepping for this. Mm-hmm. She now has a clause in every single one of her contracts that allows her to carve out a space in her shooting schedule if Amy Sherman Palladino calls her and says, uh, we're doing another season of Gilmore Girls. Okay, that's pretty cool. I really like that. A quick split here because Mark already broke the, the line with dropping an F-bomb earlier. Um, it's, it was in my dreams last night after seeing her and, and Emilio kind of semi-flirting there at the very end. My brain combined her this show and and bad santa and i just had this thing in my mind of fuck me gordon 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 which and that's the intro of the episode i feel speaking about kids mm-hmm. at the end right when gunner stall i mean scooter i mean the coach of the mighty ducks you know he got cast just by how he looked yeah right yeah. Yeah. But also he he actually can play hockey. Mm-hmm. He does have extensive hockey experience and his father was in the NHL and he himself is, you know, Canadian, which yeah. you know means that was good to see. hockey is in his blood. What was what was tough to see was all these teams coming out for this new league and it's an intense league. Mm-hmm. We're learning how intense this league is. It's like a professional hockey league, it feels like. It does. And I loved seeing the Hawks. That they just, one of the teams, just a generic team, was the Edina Hawks. It was the first time that we have seen or heard any mention of the Hawks since the brief moment at the beginning of D2 when the Hawks players are still angry that the Ducks beat them and Fulton has to beat them up and leave them in their underwear. But... The Hawks have just, they've, they've been like removed that. from the storyline, and suddenly they just skate in, and they're just, just another team at this point. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm excited to kind of learn about these other teams a little bit, too. I'm excited to learn how what the Hawks did once Coach Riley was murdered. Absolutely. Yep. For those who have not heard this, since we are live on Clubhouse for the first time, uh, that is our running theme, that the reason why Coach Riley just magically disappeared from this world is that after so many years of being <laughs> the dominant coach in the area, he blamed Hans for for bringing Gordon back into the mix of things and therefore had one angry, drunken, probably drunken, night of screaming at Hans and Hans being the most powerful man in Minnesota, very quietly behind the scenes, manipulating all of the moving pieces of who would go on to become an NFL an NHL player, was able to just murder him. And then he just, you know, went back to the mother country for a little while to hang out with Mama, while Jan, who magically disappears from the story from that point on, uh, just steps in to run things for a little while. Speaking of which, this place is called the Ice Palace that Gordon runs. They don't mention it in this episode, but it definitely feels like he probably got this from Han. I feel like somewhere Mm -hmm. in my research... I found that mentioned. Why didn't Jan get it? Again, his brother. His. We ask the the burning questions here. Another was Jan a collective hallucination? I think so. 
I think I was. I dig that. I love this. I'm uh, so 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 a, a, as they're coming out, right? These teams are flying on the ice and they're waving and they're in their full pads and full gear. And then out comes the team that we're really rooting for called the the the, the don't bothers. Mm-hmm. And they came out and I I I don't really audibly talk to myself if I'm alone very much. When they came out, I audibly said, oh, they're bad. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Just, Just this, my shoulders dropped lower than they've ever dropped, and I slouched in my couch, and I'm just like, oh. Shit. (laughs) I appreciated the coach T went, is that a football helmet? And then it cut to the next moment of Nick wearing a bicycle helmet. So. (laughs) I love Nick so much. So yeah, just that progression of that coach T looks at the professional level gear and goes, hold on, that's professional level gear for the wrong sport. Completely ignoring that one person appears to be wearing an elf cape and another person is wearing a bicycle helmet. So. so in conclusion, I'm I'm on board. It was a good pilot episode. Yep. I I was really uh is fulfilled the right word? I mean, it gave me everything I needed yeah. for a pilot. It actually it filtered one thing in that I was not expecting from Disney, which was cake. Well, no, I expected cake. Uh no, <laughs> they endorsed progressive democratic policies as a casual little throwaway in the middle of the episode. Minnesota is the most progressive liberal state in the Midwest. Uh, Emilio is known for being very progressive, very liberal, as is his father, Martin Sheen. Uh, you know, they've, they've fought for progressive policies forever. Emilio, as we talked about in the previous episode, dedicated years of his life and a lot of his personal clout to creating a movie about the night Bobby Kennedy was killed. And the reason that Lorelai Gilmore is able to convince uh, Coach Bombay to let her use the rink for the kids is she mentions that there was unclaimed money within the city legislature funds for peewee hockey. What a casual little amazing thing that the city legislature in this state that is hockey obsessed would quite literally have funds set aside and then held in reserve, despite the fact that in a hockey crazy town, clearly rich people just fund this completely. The city is still continuing to put funds out there, even if they aren't claimed, so that poor kids can have access to this possibility. I loved that. It was such a casual little throwaway, and I just immediately started nodding. of like, that's wonderful. That's just a wonderful thing, and it would be a paralegal who I have such respect for. Paralegals work so hard. Both my parents were lawyers when I was a kid. My dad then stopping a lawyer to become a teacher. Uh, but paralegals work so hard, and they know the systems so well. They are the nurses to hospitals of the legal profession. So the fact that Lorelai Gilmore, the paralegal, not only knew where to look, but lived in a system that had money set aside for poor kids to explore hockey made me really smile. That was a great little detail. So another great little detail um, 
you mentioned that Lauren, who was the one in the elven cape. Mm-hmm. She offered to bring nunchucks to the, the ice rink. Yep. Mm-hmm. Like I, I, would it be any weirder than all of the other rules that we've seen broken over the past several movies to have someone just like show up on the ice and you know like instead of checking someone just like smacking them with nunchucks? Show me the rule. Yeah, actually, I would enjoy seeing where in the rule book it specifically <clears throat> states you are not allowed to bring in outside weapons. Weapons of right. destruction, yeah. And also, I would love to see what type of weapon the nunchuck, nunchaku are defined as within rule books. Uh, now, there was something that uh, raised my eyebrows within the context we're talking about right now, which is the previous three Mighty Ducks movies openly accepted the fact that no one in those movies actually seemed to understand the rules of hockey. So things just happened. This one actually does seem to be very obsessive of the nuances of hockey culture. So I'm going to be very intrigued to see what the consequences are for the don't bothers of going out and just playing like the ducks, you know, the classic ragtag ducks breaking out nunchucks, you know, I don't know. Like, there's there's all kinds of possibilities. The the kid, I'm blanking on his name, Andrew. What's his name? The kid who can't turn down a dare. Sam. That kid already has set up that he, kind of Luis Mendoza style. He's going to just be running through people. He's going to be mm-hmm. skating at incredibly high speeds and just running through stuff. Or possibly into the goal. Who knows? I've got a yeah. question. Based, based on this first episode where do we think we're gonna end up at the end i think they what's your theory thor evan unswearing thor cued us in for it which where they said what's your name said the don't bothers but we're coming for your name so their goal there's gonna be a bet at some point of if you really think you're so much better for uh, than us put your name on the line let us be the Ducks if we beat you, because the Ducks were supposed to be a ragtag team, and you've become this oiled machine. Uh, by the way, within that, I want to know how much money Disney spent within this of figuring out how close they could get their current Ducks iconography to the old Mighty Ducks D2 Anaheim Mighty Ducks iconography without it being mm. trademark and brand infringement because Disney no longer owns the rights to any of that and mm-hmm. the fact that they do not call themselves the Mighty Ducks anywhere on the ice or the Hendrick Stadium they call it they call themselves that casually but nothing says Mighty Ducks it just says Ducks and the image of the duck face is not the one from D2. It is a new evolution. And the colors are slightly different too. It's more of like a reddish purple than the, the deep purple and teal that was almost like the, the Charlotte Hornets back in the day. Like it's, that Disney clearly pushed things right as far to that line as they possibly could without going over, which I also respect. Also, going back uh, to what we were saying before, I just pulled up the, the U13 hockey rules they they don't call it peewee anymore mm-hmm. uh and they actually don't call it 12 to 14 they call it u13 which is short for under the age of 13 um it does not say anything about being able to bring nunchucks onto the ice hmm. and use it the infractions that they talk about are 
boarding, body checking, charging, checking from behind, head contact, kneeing. Technically, you could argue that it's under fighting and roughing, uh, but holding, interference, and tripping. I mean, technically, you know. I mean, if if they are just getting hit with nunchucks, I wouldn't call that a fight. I mean, would that yes. not be high sticking? With a nunchuck? It's a stick on a chain. I mean, as long as you, you know, keep it below your head. Like, I mean, hmm. just give it a, just, you know, chest level and I think you're good. Okay. I like the setup. That could go well. I like the idea. I really, I really hope Disney, I really hope Disney runs with this. Uh, we'll find out. But I, I... I was definitely getting necessary roughness vibes. You know, the, the ragtag football team movie from 1993... Where one of the players also happens to be uh, like a double black belt in some martial art. And there's a sequence yeah. where he just goes off and takes out like six players. And the ref is doing the breakdown of like double Komatsu thrust to the chest, five yard penalty. Like, right. <laughs> Sewa now a roundhouse kick to the face, 10 yard penalty, and he's just counting them off one after another in proper form. And I was, I just, I was like that. One quick thing. Why? Okay, we understand that the ducks are assholes, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Rich, preppy assholes. Mm-hmm. But in this episode, they're, they're not even good at being assholes. I've noticed. They're not funny. They're not witty. They're not even good at being mean. Well, I, I think that that actually may be part of the setup that... Mm-hmm. They depict them all as actually being deeply insecure. I mean, the girl who stands up saying that she's, like, to kind of pretend like she's going to join the Ducks and then just goes, oh, definitely not me. I'm just going to throw away this Gatorade bottle and throws it, and then the wall just catches it immediately, which that was actually an awesome moment. But this kid who clearly doesn't talk to many people, the, the kid who's the wall, who doesn't talk to many people, who is sitting in, like, a, a backed away corner by the trash can and who it's implied spends all of his time at home without pants playing video games <laughs> this kid is able to just instantly shame one of the cool kids by just saying like that's not cool that's not okay and she just backs down immediately i actually really like that touch because cool kids who are confident can be dangerous and scary cool kids who are desperate to actually be hanging on desperate to be part of that group which is what evan talked about that we're all fighting to just hold on with our fingernails to being parts of these cool collectives that all of them all of the cool kids are actually just scrapping to hang on to my hope in the trajectory of the season is not uniquely that the ducks somehow become bad i mean sorry that the the don't bother suddenly somehow just become better than the ducks it's that they become good enough to challenge the ducks kind of Rocky style, which then encourages most of the kids on the Ducks to be like, they practice three times a week and they love their lives and practice and I hate my life. So this 10% of difference is not worth it. Let me just be happy. Let me be a kid. I really hope that the message of this series is not just that this machine is toxic, but that it's great to just be a kid. That life is big and scary and confusing. So just Enjoy being a kid. Here's the penalty box! 
Okay, so quick penalty box. David, uh, finish us up with your penalty box. And if you can figure out a way to throw in why Dave Carp owes you $10, because inquiring minds want to know. I will never explain it. He knows. It's between him and me. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, my penalty box, my only thing right now is I want to see the show... I want to see how they edit the show going forward because I want the show to be about the kids. That's the point. You know, Lorelai Gilmore and Emilio Estevez are the supports for the kids. If this is going to be a trajectory of reminding kids that it's okay to just be happy, that you don't have to always be on some kind of perfect trajectory towards some unforeseeable goal in a ruthlessly competitive world, which, yeah. Yeah, there are a lot of things out there that make life really freaking complicated and a lot of obstacles that we have socially built to make life a lot harder for a lot of people. Um, but if, if the show is going to have that focus, it needs to be less a, about Lorelai Gilmore. And I think that she had probably by 15 or 20% the most screen time of any character in this story. I don't, I don't especially care about her journey. Her journey is getting her kid to this point, believing in her kid, and learning to let go and let kids make mistakes. Which, great. Uh, you are going to be thoroughly disappointed. I, I can already tell you, she will probably by episode 7 or 8 go through a process where she sees Evan taking big swings so she's going to take big swings too and it's going to lead to promotions and people not walking all over her yeah, and da, 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 that da. makes sense and considering that she is at least staged as being a little older than our generation i mean i think mm -hmm. that she is in fact uh see march 16th 1960 she is 51 years old looks amazing uh our generation that grew up on the mighty ducks that were roughly the age of the kids playing we are all now in our mid-ish 30s so we are not quite to her age but i absolutely have quite a few friends who have kids that are not they're not hitting the 12 year old to 14 year old circuit yet but they might be starting to first eye early stage peewee that is called mini might for the record. mini might yes that's that's actually quite cute, uh, but <laughs> but I get that her character is designed to talk to us, that she is designed to teach us that hey, though you want your children to follow this path, though you want your children to succeed, you don't need to be driving the car for them every step of the way. It's okay for them to just love some things. Not everything has to have an end goal. Some things can just be loved. I get that that is the goal of it. I just care less about that. We, we've got that message now. Um, but I also get that she is... She probably is the biggest star in this. Emilio has been in hiding for 25 years. Historically, he's done probably bigger things. I mean, he was in Breakfast Club and Repo Man, which is a freaking great movie if none of you have seen it. But but yeah, she, she is probably the bigger star at this point. Mm -hmm. So... So yes, that is my one penalty box, that I would like the show to be focused more on the kids than on the adults, and I fear that it is not going to be. Okay, Mark, final thoughts and any penalty box 
that you want to throw in? Yeah, I don't think I have any penalty box things today. I, I, I think I'm really trying to see the show for what it is as well and like not not trying to harp as much on choices or right or blah blah blah. blah. I I want to see it as a whole. Um uh I did have I did have a thought. I'm interested to see how this show relates to actual kids. I'm excited mm. to see that part. Um because it is a kid show. It's a kid show. But it's geared towards us because it's our Mighty Ducks and, and nostalgia. So I'm very intrigued to kind of see how that plays out too, how that intertwines with the adult comedy, how all of that is written, and hear some reviews from teenagers who are watching the show. Well, we're going to rely on you for that because it's going to be on TikTok and that's your lane. True. But Mark, that's, that's actually a really interesting point uh, that we were just talking about how uh, Lorelai Gilmore is, is older than our generation, but she's kind of meant to speak to future us. But if current us is target demographic for this number one and target demographic for this number two is new young teenagers who may not have experienced the Mighty Ducks before. There's a, there's a bit of a gap in that unity that it's not the parents bringing their kids into it. We're not old enough to be the parents of the kids they want to bring into it. So you're hoping that the Gen Xers who are a stage older than us, who didn't really grow up with the Mighty Ducks, who for whom it was just, it was kind of a little behind them. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's going to be interesting to see how Disney manages to kind of lasso that whole group because you're targeting a variety of different groups that are disparate. There's, there's not a natural pull through. I hope it'll work. I, I like seeing this back on television. I, and I like the format of it. Yeah. If you are a teenager, uh, comment post uh let us know what your thoughts are. there's lots of places to comment if you're watching this on youtube after the fact you can put in the comments below if you go to our website knucklepucktime.com there's a place for comments on every episode um or of course you can just leave it in the reviews on apple Podcasts or spotify and i think that's uh that's probably our wrap up for the day andrew you wanna you wanna take us out thank you all so much for listening I have been Andrew. I remain David. And I'm Mark. Apologies to Keenan Thompson. Oh crap, did we forget him again? I know. It couldn't, couldn't fit you in this week. Um, we had him on Clubhouse actually, and um, yeah. Just ran lo- Sorry. Sorry, Keenan. Couldn't get him up here. Sorry, Keenan. Uh, maybe next week, man. No, we'll we'll, de- like, definitely promise, next week. Before definitely the season week. is done, we will figure out a way to get you on. I am 90% promising. Crap.